Today we are going to end a sermon series that that we took a small hiatus from. We're going to come back to it. It does connect to our scripture reading, but that's not where the bulk of our discussion is going to be. That's the starting point. So if you would like to turn to Isaiah chapter 55, that's where where we will be discussing today. Before we begin, though, let us say one more word of prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the calling you have placed in our lives to take up the banner, the work that Christ began, that your apostles continued, that has carried through the centuries all the way to today. Lord, I pray that we would not uh, languish in our understanding, but rather we we would continue the work. And so today, I pray that as we open up your word, you would bring it home. I pray that you would impress it upon us so that we can have a deeper faith in you. This is my prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. There are, unfortunately, lots of well-known lies, myths, or fables that we are aware of. If we understand that there is a spiritual conflict currently raging, sight unseen, but still present, between a loving Heavenly Father and a nasty rascal of a devil, whom the Bible says is a liar and the father of lies, then we would expect to see in a sinful world untruths. We would expect to hear things like, um, from Big Tobacco a couple of years ago, but repeated even recently, that nicotine is no more addictive than a Coca-Cola or a Twinkie. And yes, that is a quote. It's no more addictive than eating a Hostess Twinkie. We would expect to see lies like, read my lips, no new taxes. Some of us maybe, maybe know what that is a reference to. We would expect to see some things like the scandal of Watergate and what they tried to cover up and hide and so on. We would expect to hear, I did not have relations with so-and-so, when in reality, you did. We would expect to hear, um, even from our little ones, did you get into the food coloring or the cookie jar when they've got crumbs around their mouths or blue dye all over their hands? We would expect to see fibs and untruths. In fact, this is, this is a, a time of year when, as Americans, we kind of think back on some of our American heritage. The story goes that a young George Washington chopped down a cherry tree, and when his father asked, what happened here? He said, Father, I cannot tell a lie. It was me, and, and so on. And his father hugged him and thanked him for his honesty. Did you know that's probably made up? I mean, this is the world we live in, y'all. It's, it's a made-up story about a man being honest. That's, that just seems to be contradictory. Uh, it seems that a biographer penned that after our first president had already passed away. and At that time, it was tough to fact-check things quite like we do today. But our world is full of lies. You can read nearly any news article printed today, nearly any one of them, and find something misleading about it because the writer, most of the time, is not purely objective. They want you to come to a conclusion. And so the article, regardless of the source, they're looking to bring you to a conclusion. 
And so we have manipulation, we have lies, we have falsehoods, and so on. I don't want to dwell on that. I want to talk about a statement, a prominent historical figure that is remembered for something he said that came true, and he stuck to it, and he carried it out. And I think we should focus on the good at times. There's too much bad. Let's focus on the good. U.S. General Douglas MacArthur. U.S. General Douglas MacArthur was the son of an American Civil War hero, and he served as the chief U.S. military advisor to the Philippines before World War II. The day after Pearl Harbor was bombed, Japan launched its invasion of the Philippines. After struggling against great odds to save his now-adopted home from Japanese conquest, MacArthur was forced to abandon the Philippine fortress of Corregidor under orders from President Franklin Roosevelt. This was in March of 1942. Left behind on that peninsula were 90,000 American and Filipino troops who were lacking food, lacking supplies, lacking support, and they would soon succumb to the Japanese offensive. After he left, he and his family, this is Douglas MacArthur, traveled by boat several hundred miles through rough seas, Japanese Navy, and so on. During this journey, he was informed that there were fewer Allied troops in Australia that he had hoped for. He had hoped that some of our allies in nearby Australia would be able to quickly come to the, to the defense of the Filipino and, and American troops that he had, sadly, to leave behind. But there were fewer allies than first thought. Relief of his forces trapped in the Philippines would not be forthcoming. Deeply disappointed, he issued a statement to the press at that time in which he promised his men and the people of the Philippines three simple, direct, powerful words. I shall return. That became Douglas MacArthur's motto from that point moving forward. He never forgot the men and, and the people and the lives that got left behind, and he never forgot that promise, I shall return. This was a time when, when a man spoke, a man of character, a man of, of stature, a man of importance, when he said something, he meant it, and he would bend his energies to follow through. And Douglas MacArthur was that kind of man. I shall return. He repeated and repeated and repeated. He campaigned for it. He asked for it. He, he leaned all that he could towards the promise of, I shall return. And in, I want to make sure I get the year correct. On October 20, 1944, a few years later, a few hours after his troops landed, MacArthur waded ashore onto the Philippine island, I'll probably say this incorrectly, but the Philippine island of late, late, late. That day, he made a radio broadcast in which he declared, people of the Philippines, I have returned. That's an incredible story. That was a man, faulty though I'm sure he was, 
said something and meant it and did all that he could in his power to bring it to fruition. If a man faulty and with obstacles that he had to overcome, perhaps red tape that he had to wade through, all of the different campaigning for resources and arranging the troops and all that goes into warfare, all of that lined up in front of him, he was able to accomplish the one promise. Imagine then what the God of the universe can do when he says something. If a man with his faults and his shortcomings can accomplish a promise, can be true to his word, imagine what the creator and sustainer of all can do when he speaks a word. We've read in Genesis 1 that when God says, let there be, whatever comes after is. We've read in the Gospels that when the Son of God says, so and so rise, breath enters back into the body and the heart starts beating and whomever was named rose. It has been thought that the reason why Jesus had to be so specific with the naming of the person is if he kept it too general, graves would just start popping all over the place. People would just start answering the call of their Redeemer and just start rising up all over the place. We know that there was a greater resurrection at Christ's resurrection. But when the word of God comes forth, something happens. It doesn't just fall into nothingness or end up like you're talking to an inanimate object and then nothing occurs. If God were to talk to an inanimate object, you would then be animated. It would then do something. The rocks would cry out and preach the gospel, the Bible says, if people didn't do it themselves. The Word of God, the Bible tells us, is powerful, it's meaningful, and when God speaks, something happens. We have been going through 1 John chapter 4 and now Isaiah 55, the Samaritan woman at the well, and then now Isaiah 55. The connection between them, I believe, is that what Jesus was experiencing and talking about and leading those Samaritan village through and to is the culmination of what Isaiah is writing about in this section of Scripture. If you read Isaiah leading up to 55, you see a progression of God first talking to Israel and then expanding it into all who would listen. That, that expanding out to all the people, to anyone who has an ear, anyone who thirsts, anyone who wants the salvation I have to offer, come to me. It might start with them, but then it's going to everybody without restriction. What we see with the lady in Samaria is a non-Jew listening to the word of God and being moved by it, coming to repentance, looking for Christ's compassion, seeing what she was missing and drinking deeply of that living water that he offers. As we've gone through Isaiah 55, we've, we've touched on that, and then we get down to verses 6 and 7, and we read, Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon it is a beautiful call and a beautiful invitation that God extends to you and to me today, no matter what it is. 
no matter how serious it might have been or currently is. The invitation is to return back to him and he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly forgive. He will cleanse you of your way. He will have compassion on you. You just need to return to him. That invitation is there. When we move on into verses 8 and 9, we see the reason why God can offer it. And that's because the disparity between you and God is real and it is necessary. God is so far above us that we might not understand how a murderer like David and like Saul can be forgiven and brought back into God's family. A man after one's own heart and the 13th apostle, 14th apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles. We don't understand how a thief hanging on the cross, as guilty as guilty can be, Christ can say, today, I promise you, you will see me in paradise. We don't understand how that works. I don't understand how God's grace can take a a drunkard, a gossiper, a thief, an abuser. I don't understand how the grace of God can take someone's character bent in that fashion and soften it and remake it after the fashion of Christ. I don't understand how that works. In my shortcomings, I look too many times at, at men and women and I go, mm, seems like they've made their choice. I think we do that too often. But praise God, he doesn't do that. He is not limited in the way that we are. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And then more importantly, his ways are not my ways. He has the goods to back up the invitation, in other words. He has the means, he has the ability, he has the way of understanding, and he has a plan for you and I that we won't be able to comprehend after studying it for millennia. And I praise God for that. I don't want to put the creator of the universe into a box that I can understand and then say that's what he is. He's far above us. That's a reason why he can offer the invitation for forgiveness and pardon. And then today's focus, verse 10, a secondary reasoning why he can give this invitation. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The second reason that God gives for here's the invitation and here's why you can trust me is he says, when I say something, it happens. One, we have reason to believe this because the example that is given, we can look outside our windows and observe in nature the cyclical effect of what God has put in place, knowing that it has been and it will continue until Christ returns. And every time we see the rain fall and the steam go up and the clouds form and the rain fall again, harvest time comes, seeding and planting season arrives, As long as that continues to go on, that is sure evidence that God's word 
will come true, will come to fruition. The rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. When I, before I, I changed careers and started anew, answered the call to pastoral ministry, I was a landscaper. I think most of y'all know this. Where we lived in Lexington, Kentucky had, had a very consistent um, pattern for weather every year. Just about, you could guarantee, 99 out of 100 times it was going to behave in a certain way. When you were there long enough, you knew that you would have winters where snow was somewhere between 6 and 15 inches every year, some, somewhere around there. Then the spring would come, and from March to April to May, you could just have torrents of rain. Grass would grow so high you couldn't cut it quick enough, and people were calling, saying, I've got amber waves of grain out here. When will you come by? You're staying busy. Bushes are exploding. Flowers are blooming. It's a beautiful, beautiful time to actually be in the bluegrass region of, of Kentucky is in the spring. Rain comes. But also, there's this weird meteorological phenomena where every summer, every summer, like clockwork, starting at about June, July, August, something happens in that part of the state where you could have a rain system coming in from the west and it would hit Louisville, Kentucky. That's the Indiana-Kentucky border. It would split. Part of it would go up into Ohio. Part of it would come down into Tennessee. And it would get into eastern Kentucky, and it would reform, and off it would go. Very weird. Saw it happen more times than I can count. So with certainty, everything would dry up every single summer. You could go weeks without rain. The, the dirt would crack. The leaves on the trees would wilt. There was one year in particular, I think we went seven weeks uninterrupted without rain. I mean, oak trees were starting to wilt up. That's something. But the Bible is saying is that just like the weather patterns that we can see and we can observe and they are consistent and they, they carry on life in this world, so shall the word of God be. So the word of God, like rain, falls and comes and is present and comes out of his mouth and extends down to us. And it is there and it carries on. But the most important part of this is that there is a reason to why God speaks. In verse 11, we have that because the rain doesn't just fall just to make things wet. Snow doesn't just fall because the kids like to sled on it. Rain falls, our weather patterns happen for a purpose, and that's so uh, we can have fresh water to drink, animals can, can get what they need for, for nutrients, and plants can grow. We can have a harvest, we can eat. I'm thankful we have the rain so we can eat. We need it all. So the rain doesn't just come to make us wet, but it has a purpose to it. And so the second point for today is that God's word has a purpose. My word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It's not going to just go out and do nothing. Like when he created and he said, let it be, it was. Like when Christ promised to the thief, we mentioned, that is one man I'm sure we will see walking the streets of gold. Christ said it, he'll be there. I take him at his word. 
But God is saying that his word accomplishes that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, God doesn't just say things just to hear himself make a sound. If any of us that have had kids, maybe we can relate to sometimes they just make noise just to make noise. At least mine do. Maybe mine are the only ones. Maybe my toddlers or my six-year-old will just kind of be riding in the car and randomly blurt out a noise because they, they think it's too quiet and they need to interrupt that with some sound. God does not operate that way. God speaks and he means it. He's got a purpose. He desires it to do something. If we were to draw from recent events a parallel. This past week we saw a horrendous event occur in Uvalde, Texas. Most of us are aware of this. Are we aware of the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas? From what I understand, it's the second worst school shooting in American history. Every time there is one, my memory goes back to my own hometown where we had our own school shooting. It happened just before Columbine, so it was kind of overshadowed by what happened at Columbine. Our hearts do go out for that community because I do remember firsthand what it is like to have a school in your neighboring community have an event like that. Lost lives, and it's all over the news, and families are immediately torn, and then uh, you know, out of the woodworks inside of 30 seconds, people are looking for a political end while people are still just streaming in tears. As I've paid attention to what has happened this past week, while I have my own opinions, and a lot of people are quick to offer their own opinions about what to do, I believe that it is wiser to give some time and let things settle down for a moment before we just start screaming about it. It is a community hurting. These are families that in a moment had everything get turned on its head, and I cannot comprehend really what some of those people are going through in those days that have kind of followed, especially after we've learned additional details of what happened at that time. Far too many people, their hot take was to shout and scream and point fingers, and these, these were the words, you can find them, do something. Do something. Well, nothing was added to the do something. It was just a screaming, do something. Oh, well, what something? Well, you often didn't find a lot of details. We've got to do something. We've been doing nothing. Do something, do something, do something. Well, I agree that perhaps something needs to be done, but shouting do something doesn't actually accomplish anything. It is an empty phrase that means nothing except to continue to drum up emotions and continue to drum up attacks on people or to, to point fingers and to lay blame and so on. And perhaps there's time to wade through what do we do, but to simply shout, do something, it means nothing. It really doesn't. And so I would rather when people 
I would rather when people suggest something or say something, they have thought out what they're about to say so they have something substantive to add to rather than to say something to be saying something. I believe that's a lesson we can learn from God in this passage is when he talks, there's a purpose to his words. When I speak, God is saying, it shall accomplish that which I purpose. I believe a lesson that we can learn from God's example is before we speak, consider, is there a purpose behind it? Or like a toddler, are we just making noise so there's something going on? We should be speaking with a purpose. Now, I am grateful that when God speaks, the purpose that he intends, you only look back at the purpose that he intends is to let the wicked forsake his ways, the unrighteous man his thoughts, so that the Lord may have compassion on him and so that God will abundantly pardon. That's the purpose of God's word in this passage. God's word, when he speaks it into your life, he means it and it will accomplish it. You are forgiven is not an empty phrase when God speaks it to you. You are my son and daughter is not nothing when God lays that title on your name. When God says you are now a part of my family, adopted and grafted into this righteous stock, it means something. Do we believe him? Do we believe God when he says you're forgiven? Or do we say, no, God, not yet. I'm not forgiven yet. Hold on. I need to ask a few more times. I need to do a few more things. Hold on. When God says, I can change your heart and turn you into a new person, do we argue with him and say, no, I'm pretty stuck in my ways. I'm 30 or 50 or 70 or whatever, whatever age you may be, and you say, I've always been this way. This is how I'm going into the grave. Do we take God at his word? When we read scripture from Genesis to Revelation, when we crack open the spine of the Bibles that sadly tend to gather more dust than creases, when we crack open the word of God and we read, I will make you a new creature in Christ's name, do we believe it or do we argue against it? When God's word says that I have a plan and a purpose for you, to bless you, to uplift you, to, to clothe you in righteousness, to install a new heart in you. When I, I, I have these, these words for you, do you take me at my word? Do we believe them? Or do we find an excuse? Do we say this was, these words were penned for a different audience, they don't mean it for me in the 21st century? Do we say, well, when Paul wrote what he wrote in the epistles, uh, he was only thinking or God was only inspiring him for first century Christians and not for uh, people in the United States of America in 2022. We can relegate those to the past or we can refigure them in a way that matches what I think. they. No, no, no. Do we take God at his word because he has a purpose for that inspiration? He didn't inspire it expecting it to be nothing. He inspired it with a purpose. And he intends for that purpose to be accomplished. In fact, God says that like when the rain falls, plants grow, so shall my word be when it goes from my mouth. It won't come back empty. 
I'm saying that I will have a people. Inevitably, that will happen. I'm saying that I will create in you a clean heart. Will you let me? It will happen when I say it. I'm saying all of these things. The list could go on. We could sit and write out the different things that God has told us He will do in our lives. And each one of those things will happen. God's Word comes back not empty, but accomplished, successful. I am grateful for that. I am thankful. I praise God that when He speaks, things happen because I know I need it in my life. Do you? Do you you need your reactions to things to be tempered a little bit more like how Christ responds? Do we need to look at people the way that God looks at people? Well, God can do that for you. Do you need to know deep down without question and with full assurance that whatever you've done in your past, you are forgiven? Take God at His word. Take God at His word. It is as sure as the sun coming up in the east and setting in the west. And it is as sure as the rain falling and the sunflowers blooming. It happens. And it will be successful. The last couple of verses for Isaiah 55 speak of, speak of the blessings. When, when God's word enters your life and accomplishes that which he purposes, you will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap in their hands. In other words, nature is going to rejoice with you in what the Creator has done for you and in you. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Are there issues in your life that are a little thorny and rough? Would you like to see something living and beautiful? Take God at His word. That's the end result. It shall make a name for the Lord and an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I am so grateful that when God speaks, things happen and it comes to fruition. Because right now I look for and I ask and I expect victory over sin in my life today. Today. May of 2022. Tomorrow, the next day. I expect that because God has said, I can, I can hold him to his word. But additionally, just like Douglas MacArthur said, I shall return, I have the word of my Savior. If I go and prepare a place for you, I shall return and take you home to be with me. That is not yet realized But if Douglas MacArthur can do it for the Philippines, surely Christ can do it for you and for me. If Douglas MacArthur, faulty and and imperfect and so on, can walk back onto that beach a couple of years later, surely the creator of all will be true to his word and one day split open that eastern sky to take us home. If MacArthur can do it, surely God can do it. Because remember, his ways are as much higher than ours as the heaven from the earth. Take God at his word because God's word, like rain, will accomplish 
what he sends it out to do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is sure. We thank you that we have evidence all around us of its surety. And so I pray that we remember that in moments when we are tempted to doubt, when our faith might be wavering or teetering or tottering. Lord, I pray that we would rather grasp hold again, when even if we don't feel like it, even if it doesn't look like it, we know for a fact that your word is sure and strong and will accomplish what you purpose. So Lord, I pray that your purpose be realized in our lives. Forgiveness, recreation, restoration, a close walk with you. Lord, realize that for us today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.